From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. A Black mother was verbally assaulted by a white mother using a racial slur outside their daughter's elementary school. But she pushed for the justice system to educate, not incarcerate. I'm not a person who's for, like, incarcerating people. Like, what does that do to her on the back end with her children, with her life? Like, I know that despite the levels of hate that she showed, I can continue to have that capacity to extend that grace and mercy. And later, the bold prints and intricate beating of Africa have been spotted on American runways for years. We need to stop buying African-inspired. You need to be buying from actual African designers who are the ones who are creating these pieces, not somebody else who has been inspired. Meet the Broomfield stylist working to bring the modern looks of the motherland to the mile high and beyond. My gift to CPR was matched by my employer. We support CPR with a business reporting grant. I'm a network partner and a member of the Legacy Circle. I support Colorado Public Radio by giving stock. Our foundation proudly supports CPR's efforts. We will distribute residual assets tax-free to CPR. My husband and I are Colorado Public Radio leadership partners. Explore all ways to give and make your gift on the support page at CPR.org. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. When Melissa Hall, a Black woman, a mother of four, and school volunteer was subjected to a verbal racist attack, it left her stunned. Now, two and a half years later, the case has been resolved. But was anything learned from that outcome? It's the first in Colorado to test a new provision to the state's hate crime law. We're going to explore that further now with Systemic, CPR's podcast about justice and racial reckoning. Let's join host Joe Erickson. I was actually done monitoring the parking lot, and I was standing at the crosswalk fence to the parking lot area where the crossing guards helped the kids cross. Um, And I was talking to another mom. A woman pulls in kind of late, and I didn't really notice her at first. And finally, I realized that I'm hearing her say stuff. If this sounds familiar, you're right. You may remember Melissa Hall from a CPR podcast called Systemic. She's the black parent and school volunteer who is on the receiving end of some hateful racially motivated abuse at an elementary school in Colorado Springs in November 2021. Driving the truck that day, was Ashley Boise, a 31-year-old married white woman with two children. She jumped out of the truck and, without any provocation, attempted to hit another parent in the school parking lot. And I yelled, hey, you can't put your hands on people. She went on to say, "Um, I'll spit on you. I said, okay. I said, I understand that you're upset. I said, but there are lots of children here, and I can't have you using that kind of language around your children or other people's children. She said, I don't give a about anybody else's god kids except for my own. She gets in her car, and I said, I think at that point is when I told her, hey, I'm recording you. So I start recording her, and I said, hey, you're being recorded. She tries to run me over with her car as I'm getting the phone on. So I jumped back up over the curb, Other parents are just trying to get their kids and get the heck out of there. And it's at that point that she says to me, You're being recorded. I don't care. You're just mad because I'm... 
Did you just call me a Melissa reported it to the police. This story is about what happened next. And how a new provision to Colorado's hate crime statute was tested. Did this new amendment to the law deliver justice? And can a law really change Ashley Boise's view towards black folks? Being white in this country has gotten really hard. <laughs> I'm Joe Erickson. I've got to say, going back to this story was harder than I imagined. Suddenly, I was forced to relive a trauma I experienced when I was called the N-word. I still shudder thinking about it. I can never forget the way that word was used. The menace and the animosity both in tone and action, led me to flee a situation because somebody hated the colour of my skin. Now I'm looking at Melissa's experience and she did something I couldn't. She took a stand and she did it by helping her abuser. In December 2021, Melissa went to the police. I just knew that she had the daughter in the same classroom as my child. But I knew immediately that, you know, I had to actively participate, actively contribute, and really try to figure out what was the best thing to do here. As for Ashley... Her deepest regret was that her daughter lost a friend. Melissa was the mother of one of my daughter's friends at the time, who she unfortunately is no longer friends with. And I apologized to my daughter. I was like, baby, I'm so sorry that I might have cost you your, your friendship with your friend. I was like, I'm so sorry. That's not right for me as a mother to have done that to you. Colorado Springs Police Department sent an officer from the Victims Assistant Unit to visit Melissa and the school to discuss the charges and what to expect next. The school took measures to ban Ashley from entering the school premises, leaving the police to decide what they should charge Ashley. Eventually, they charged Ashley with disorderly conduct and harassment. And if she was found guilty of harassment, Ashley could face some jail time. If this sounds harsh, it's meant to be. I would hate for her to have to go to jail. I'm not a person who's for, like, incarcerating people, right? Like, what does that do to her on the back end with her children, with her life, with her having a job and all these other pieces? Like, I know that despite the levels of hate that she showed, I can continue to have that capacity to extend that grace and mercy. So Melissa went to bat for the other team. She pleaded with the courts to keep Ashley and her children together. Before I tell you what happened next with these two women, it's worth taking a look at this new amendment to the law that has made this case possible. And the best person to tell you is Democratic Representative Mike Wiseman, 
one of the co-sponsors of Colorado's Bias Motivated Crime Statute 2021. He saw a problem. I was just in a, a discussion convened by the Attorney General and Senator Fields at the Attorney General's office before the holiday break. We have big problems of underreporting of bias motivated crime uh, for some pretty complex reasons. Um, so, for every crime that we know is happening that has come to the attention of law enforcement that is being handled in the criminal legal system, there's a lot more out there that is happening that is harming people that isn't even captured in the data. He noticed that bias-motivated crime statutes were more successful in convicting offenders of violent hate crimes and bias-motivated murders. But when it comes to bias-motivated misdemeanors, the courts couldn't quite get this law to work. So Wiseman needed to make some changes. The problem was some offenders were managing to beat uh, a criminal consequence by saying that, uh, you know, by arguing basically what we came to call mixed motives. Oh, I wasn't trying to beat up so-and-so because of his race. I just wanted to take his wallet or his laptop or something like that. Wiseman closed the loophole. So now, since the effective date of law in 2021, uh, if if somebody goes and beats somebody up and, and they yell epithets and there's evidence that it was was bias-motivated harassment or bias-motivated uh, other crime, again, based on the defined characteristics, race, color, religion, ancestry, national origin, disability, uh, or sexual orientation, even if there was another motive to steal property, uh, to take somebody's money, whatever, you're still going to face consequences for the bias-motivated uh, harassment or crime, and you should. Why does this matter? Well, as a defendant... You may want to face a class three misdemeanor, which could be as little as a $50 fine and a few months in jail, rather than a bias motivated crime, which is a class one misdemeanor with heavier fines and potentially 364 days in jail. When Wiseman was amending the law, he was designing it to help victims like Melissa. Her case is one of the few to use the Colorado Bias Motivated Crime Statute in her harassment charge. Charging a person is one thing. Getting a conviction, actually, in this case, it should have been easy. After Ashley failed to turn up in court in May 2022, and after her attorney filed a motion to quash failure to appear warrants, Ashley Boise and Melissa finally appeared in court in August 2022. What should have been a routine plea with either a trial or sentencing turned into a courtroom drama. Melissa remembers Ashley walking up to the stand looking agitated and distracted that day. Though she was five foot seven in height, she seemed tiny and frail. The long sleeve top couldn't hide her tattoos on her arms and hands, and her long black hair looked like it had been pulled back hastily. 
you know, and her public defender was basically doing their job. You know, get your client under control. I think because of her responses and her behavior and her theatrics of crying in the courtroom and protesting, we had to like have a court recess and come back like an hour plus later. You know, that's taxing on you mentally. It's just exhausting. Despite all of this, Melissa stood up in court and asked the court not to send Ashley to jail, not to separate mother and child. My initial push was for her to get restorative justice because I felt like that would be a space and experience where maybe she could have some exposure um, and maybe learn, you know, because I don't know that we can change a racist, bigoted person. Um, I would hate for her to have to go to jail. Judge Sam Burney deferred the case. And in November 2022, Ashley pleaded guilty to disorderly conduct and harassment. The judge ordered Ashley to pay $270 in fines, write a letter of apology, and complete a course on diversity, equity, and inclusion. To make sure Ashley didn't repeat this behavior, Judge Bernie added a suspended sentence of 60 days in jail and 12 months unsupervised deferred sentence. So all Ashley had to do is write a letter, pay a fine, go on a course, and this whole matter is over. Okay, sounds simple. In August 2023, Ashley and Melissa were back in the same court. This time, Ashley reached out to Melissa via social media with a type of written apology. At first glance, the three-page apology seemed sincere. Ashley explained the circumstances of her actions, her sobriety since the parking lot incident, but one word was missing. Sorry. Even if it had been just, I'm so sorry, my behavior was absolutely unacceptable, Um, what I did was wrong, Um, you know, it could have just been three simple sentences. It's not the length and the amount of verbiage that you put in something. It's the sincerity. The judge agreed, and Ashley still hadn't paid her fines or even started her course. So it came down to one more chance for Ashley to complete the judge's orders, or she'll be facing the prospects of spending Christmas in jail. And this time, Melissa would not be able to intervene. I remember driving to Colorado Springs. All the music channels were playing Christmas songs. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. It's the 22nd of December. The radio host announced that there's only two more shopping days till Christmas as if we needed more reminders. 
I arrive at El Paso County Combined Court with only moments to spare. My bags were screened and I ran up the stairs to the second floor. Court was in session at 8.30. It's 8.32. I enter courtroom E. I saw Melissa sitting in the front row of seats. She's dressed in smart grey slacks and a crisp white shirt. It was the first time I'd seen Melissa with her natural afro hair loose around her face and dropping to the middle of her back. She turns and looks at me as if to say, Ashley isn't here. I sit, waiting patiently. The courtroom is packed. For anyone who hasn't been in a courtroom, it isn't like the crime shows you see on TV where the prosecutor and defendant battle it out. Well, that was not my experience. Most of the defence attorneys were in the corridors hammering out plea deals. Then, one by one, defendants appeared before the judge with plea deals for the judge to either accept or deny. It's 9.03. Still, no Ashley. As a plea deal breaks down because they need a translator, Ashley arrives. We sit together. She seems stressed. I was nervous as hell. (laughs) I was nervous because I ran out of gas and I was late, but I was also nervous because even though I got everything done, I was scared that I was going to be in jail for Christmas. So like, and I have two kids, so that was not, not what I wanted at all. Ashley was called to the stand. Her attorney said she had completed all the judge's orders and handed over the letter of apology to the judge. The judge asked Ashley to tell her about what she'd learnt on this course. Ashley talked about the statistics and the barriers that black folks faced. She also said that she had learnt white privilege. The judge told Melissa to stand. She acknowledged Melissa's grace in this case and issued a strong warning to Ashley not to reoffend. It took less than five minutes to close this case. After it was all over, I spoke to Ashley in a noisy corridor filled with attorneys and clients talking. Can you read out a little bit about the the apology? Yes, um, I had written two technically. This new one that I had turned into the judge, it reads, Dear Melissa, as I sit down to write this, I'm filled with mixed emotions. Reflecting on the past can be both sobering and enlightening. In 2021, I found myself in a place that was far removed from where I am today. It was a time marked by struggles with addiction, compounded by the fact that my husband, too, was battling similar challenges and eventually ended up in prison. Amidst this turmoil, I made choices I deeply regret, and the tum- and in that tumultuous period, I directed hurtful words towards you. I can't express how sorry I am for the pain that I caused you during that time. When somebody gets angry, 
We naturally reach for those words. You went for the N word. Yeah, that was the very last thing I said as I was pulling away, like pulling my car and like leaving. That was the very last thing I said to her. So that's kind of where that is. Like everyone I've told this story, they look at me, they're like, Ashley, you don't talk like that. I'm like, I know, I know. And I even told like my video game friends, they're like, Ashley, you don't do that. I'm like, I know. (laughs) Well, and unfortunately that day, I had just gotten denied to visit my husband in prison. So on top of that emotion, it just did not go well. (laughs) I probably shouldn't have been the one to pick up my daughter that day. (laughs) I was not in a good mental state. The training that you did, you you talked about that um, you felt that you learned um, about being You learned about white privilege. Which, and I make a joke all the time. I'm like, I don't necessarily experience white privilege. I make a joke. I was like, I experience pretty pretty privilege (laughs) because that's how I feel like I've gotten a lot of things that I want in life by being pretty and smiling at some dumb guy. (laughs) So that's like the privilege I personally have learned to live with. When I pushed her on the issue of white privilege, being a societal privilege that benefits white folks. She said this. And I can definitely see that. However, I do think that with the with everything going on in our country, that they are trying to make examples of the white men um, to show, like, we're not prejudiced. Like, the white guys are going to do just as much time as the black guys. And I say that because my husband's white and a bunch of my friends who are white have been given longer jail sentences than they probably would have been if we were a few years earlier. And I think that it's not fair. And being white in this country has gotten really hard. (laughs) I came away thinking, did anything change? The judge went to a lot of trouble to add an education component to sentencing. I could see that the judge wanted Ashley to have a greater understanding of what it's like to be black and help eradicate this type of harassment. I'm not sure we moved the needle. As for Melissa, was it worth the two years it took to close this case? I feel like it was bigger than me. You know, my understanding is she's the first person in the state of Colorado to be charged with that, that hate crime law, that um, the way that it's laid out, you know, the new criminal coding or whatever that they had for this. And so for me, it was really kind of thinking about like how many hundreds, thousands of people of color for, you know, hundreds of years have those experiences felt that fear, you know, um, experienced other things in addition to that and never had the opportunity to ever see any potential kind of justice. Just, you know, I mean, it really, it really made me really think, you know, you know, like it is, it is a horrendous thing that happened Uh, more times than we'll ever know 
And those people, our ancestors, our family members never lived, you know, a lot of them to see the day. So I just felt like I had a responsibility to to be present, to see it through. I had, you know, to to think about people who fought for for, you know, racial equality and all of these pieces. Some of those people didn't even live to see this. So I, I, I guess, again, and just in a short sense, it was bigger than just that. Systemic is CPR's podcast about race, equity, and people working to create change, hosted by Joe Erickson. Find this and other episodes focused on police and education reform at CPR.org and wherever you get your podcasts. When we come back, a fashion blogger and stylist in Broomfield is working to make sure designers and artisans from Africa get their due. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. Fellow members of the motion picture industry and honored guests, this is one of the happiest moments of my life. Hattie McDaniel is the first African-American to win an Oscar, but it wasn't the only barrier she broke. She was the first black woman to sing on the radio on station KOA in Denver in 1925. McDaniel grew up in Denver and started performing at East High School, dropping out to join her brother's traveling minstrel show, and later she got to Hollywood into the motion picture industry and the role of Mammy in Gone with the Wind. Just hold on and suck in. As a black woman, McDaniel was barred from the premiere in Atlanta in 1939, and at the Oscars, she was seated separately from her co-stars. It ain't fitting, it just ain't fitting. But there were more roles for her to play and more firsts in her career. Today, Hattie McDaniel has two stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, one for motion pictures, the other for radio. A Colorado postcard from Colorado Public Radio with the support of Coble Urban and Mountain Communities. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Chandra Thomas-Woodfield. We're at a pop-up market in an upscale neighborhood in Denver. There's a mirror right here if you want to take yourself out. <laughs> a customer tries on a black cuff bracelet. The table is full of earrings, rings, necklaces, a lot of them with shiny metal and delicate beading, all very modern looking. Everything you're seeing is hand-beat by my side women. Everything is be somebody who sat down and like handmade every single beat piece of it. It was hand-beaded in Tanzania, says Koya Nyanki, who curated this market. She's like a fashion ambassador. She doesn't make the pieces. Her mission and business is to share African artists and designers in places where they're not often given credit or consideration. If you're gonna go and buy luxurious stuff, then I wanna introduce you to a luxurious brand from Africa. It makes me happy because what was done in Tanzania is now living in the States. Customers like the one trying on the bracelet don't always know that initially. They're admiring the jewelry, picking up pieces to try on, and Yangi makes sure they also understand the significance behind what they're holding. So the cool thing about this is uh, the significance is this is when the Maasai men are transitioning from manhood to adulthood, they remove all their adornments and they paint themselves black and white. So the black is to sort of like symbolize all of that. Yes. Uh, yeah. I like especially if it has meaning behind it, you know. <laughs> 
Standing nearby is Karen Pine. She works in the beauty industry and partners with Yankee. There's been very little of anything like this in Denver um, and, you know, just in the U.S. You don't see these types of things. You typically, when you see, you know, things from Africa, it's, it's very traditional. But she's not bringing, you know, just the traditional things. She's bringing things with a modern element, a modern twist. The beaded jewelry brand on the table is Sadai Designs. The idea is to just preserve the technique of beading that the Maasai do and to create um, financial, economic empowerment for the women. Mariana Estevis buys a thin beaded necklace, which she puts on immediately. This is amazing to have uh, Alcoya bringing, curating all these amazing art artisans from Africa so we can enjoy unique pieces here in Denver, Colorado. It feels super special. Koya Yankee joins us in the studio now to talk more about her company and her mission. Koya. Welcome to Colorado Matters. Oh, Sandra, thank you so, so much for having me. I'm glad to be here today to be talking about with you about all the things that we do at Let Me Show You Different. I understand at some point you read an article in Vogue that helps explain your mission to spread African fashion in places like Colorado. What was that Vogue story about and what effect did it have on you? Um, there was an article that came out in Vogue and it was like global designers to watch. Yes, yes. And I remember I was so excited reading it because I knew I was going to stumble somewhere about an Afri maybe an African designer who I love. And I read the entire article and there was no one from Africa. And I was like, how can a title be called Global Designers to Watch when we've missed an entire continent? I mean, I just thought it was sort of like very lazy in terms of the writing. And I just wondered, well, this is a magazine that a lot of people really look up to and really watch and like listen and like hear from. And for them to not have any designer to watch, but I was like, I could mention five at the top of my head who are doing amazing things. And so that really made me understand the importance of telling the story, the importance of creating opportunities and the importance of people getting to know about all these designers who are doing such fabulous things from Africa. Well, I'm sitting here looking at this amazing ensemble that you're wearing today, and um, I'm guessing you kind of stand out here in Colorado. <laughs> so how did you come to do this work specifically in Colorado? And do you feel like being in Colorado has influenced your approach or mission? Um, you see, I, I think I feel like I think about it every single day. Am I in the right place doing what I'm supposed to do? But I think you're always where you're supposed to be any mm. single time. I think we question, am I supposed to be here? And I am supposed to be here. I love being here. And I think the good thing about being in Colorado is the openness towards learning. You know, you have people who are coming from all over. And so there's this sort of like yearning to know. So there's a curiosity. And I think when there's a curiosity, then whatever it is that you're trying to teach and introduce, then people have a yearning to kind of get to know and understand more about it. And instead of getting frustrated by the lack of knowledge, yeah. 
you just decided to bring it here. You know, the thing about being an African is you will constantly, and it, 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 wherever you are, you'll constantly get asked really ridiculous questions. <laughs> like, um, do you have a lion? How is it living in the village? And I'm like, well, I'm a city girl. I come from Nairobi, Kenya. It's a bloody city. <laughs> do you have electricity? <laughs> yeah, it's all those questions. So then you and then you people ask you all these things. And I was like, well, I guess there there's a lack of understanding and a lack of education. And I think this has always stemmed from the media and how it has kind of like told the story of the continent. And I also had to struggle a lot with like, do I say this African designers? Is this African fashion? I have a problem with saying African fashion because then what really is African fashion? If a continent with 54 countries, every single one of them looks very, very different. And so I, I had to go back and do an education Mm. Of what it is that these brands are doing, why it matters, and what more are they championing? When you have brands right now talking about sustainability and coming up with new materials and all these things and all the fuss, African designers inherently, because of not having too much, are already sustainable. So they have been spearheading sustainability for a really, really long time. And even the clothes that people sort of like get, take to goodwill, they end up in like landfills in like mm. parts of Africa. So then we have already been sustainable in the things that we have been given, the discards. So my problem has always been a continent that has informed fashion for so long. I mean, you think when you when they had Safari Chic, when they had all this like leopard prints, we had have been informing like the basket bags all these things but we have always been outside of the table mm. every single time african fashion has the ability to create tons and tons of job in the continent the problems happening in africa has always been one of uh, opportunity well I-, I like that you said earlier telling the story of the continent yeah you know and as a person who's been there twice yes. on the continent to do two different countries Really, it is amazing the diversity that you see in thought and style and fashion and everything. Yeah. So all this great designers and all this great creators, they need a space. They need to showcase who they are. They need to tell us the story. They need to be the ones who who say this is the new Africa. They get to be the ones who change the narrative that has constantly been there, that has been sort of like told by other people who don't live there, but come and enjoy and then tell the tales. Well, that's where you come in. You're here to educate, to enlighten and inform. And your company and website are called Let Me Show You Different. You do workshops, you give talks. You obviously also have events like the holiday market we visited and a big annual show, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Where did the name of your company come from? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Uh, Do you know the weirdest thing is I have a book for like all the different names. But I remember I was sitting with my spouse and I was like, well, it has to be. I'm trying to show people different. I'm trying. What we're doing is different. Like it, it. So we started going down the list of like be different. I was like, nah. But and I was like, nah. And then we ended up. And I was like, oh my god, let me show you different. Like every single thing is how I dress. People, people are always going to say, well, that looks different. And I'm like, let me show you different. And let me show you different for me is sort of like a mindset. Mm. It is the people who think like there is no box. Is the people who go outside the norm. It is the people when everybody else has said, let's go this way. They're like, wait a minute. 
let me think different let me show you different let's go and try this other side so let me show you different is an embodiment it's a lifestyle it is how you choose to think it is when you are yelling about brands not doing what they need to do then you're like well what can be a different thing you know, it is the decentralizing of how things have always been and recognizing that we can do things differently. You're definitely showing me different <laughs> right now. I, I wish everyone could see. <laughs> Our motto is be bold, be brave, be different. So if I think the way we are supposed to think, then it means that there are people who will not have opportunities that should have opportunities. It seems clear that this is a calling for you. It, it is. It really is. People have drowned to get to better places. Mm. People are, there's a wall that people are trying to build so people are not allowed into certain places. Mm. And I found myself in this country where you're, American, you leave the American dream, right? And I got here and I was like, well, how, what am I going to do? And when you think about colonization and I bring it all the way back, it was people coming into Africa to mine all this really great resources that we have. But the one thing I always say is that the creative IP of the people of Africa, you can never take that away ever. And so now it is for me, it is no longer the world to Africa. It is Africa to the world. Well, like I said, we're going to talk about your big annual event, but I keep talking about your outfit. So you're going to have to do your best to be the eyes for our listeners. Oh. Describe your outfit that you're wearing right now. Well, this is like a whole mishmash of uh, flowers and patterns and stripes as well because I'm wearing like my zebra print boots and I'm wearing my Adele Dijak earrings with like yes, my... I love the Afro pick <laughs> earrings like that is fabulous. <laughs> I know I was like this. I feel like I needed all my energy today with all of this. I have the African ring on. Uh, African-shaped gold yes. rings. And I have my lion ring. And then I have head. my... Yeah, my lion's head. So for me, it's kind of like a lion of Judah right now. As you see. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I would live to go to King Supers with you and all the heads turning as you walk the aisles. <laughs> yeah. You know, people ask me, do you dress like this all the time? And I'm like, yeah, do you it's me. It's, it's, it's me. <laughs> I cannot separate the two. <laughs> So your big annual event is in June. June. Can you describe the event and give us a preview of what's in the works for this year? Okay. Wow. I mean, first of all, the, first, the fact that we have the second year is like, I just want to applaud us because the first year was like the time, you know, every single time you try to do something is always really hard. But this event is... Uh, the celebration of African culture through the eyes of the African creators. Mm. And uh, we are going to be, the theme of this year is uh, discovery and reframing narratives. So it's a journey of discovering new designers, discovering new food, discovering new music, discovering what African culture really is. And I heard that what you said about last year was that people got steeped in Africa but yeah. in Denver. Yes. And so it's going to be that, but now like even bigger, like better. Now you've said this event is about being seen. How important is that for these designers? Oh, wow. I mean, uh, they get to have the microphone, you know, they get to tell us what their Africa is. They get to share 
who they are. I guess that's like a really good thing for Denver as well. And it's a really good for all the African creators and all the people who will come and immerse themselves in this beautiful night. Growing up in Kenya, how did you first get into fashion? When I came out of my mother's womb, fashion came right alongside with me. So are you saying you had fashionable booties in one <laughs> I mean, my fashion is like innate in my blood. And because my foray into fashion is in fashion styling, that's what I do. Like, that's the thing that I can do with my eyes closed is style. And I would tell people what to have, like, yeah, maybe like try this, this and that and try drop that, bring this in, you know, like a chemical so you, so reaction. You see it. Yeah, but I didn't, I thought everybody could do this. <laughs> I didn't think that this was like a thing that I'm not, not a lot of people could do. I thought everyone could do it. And also, I didn't know that there was a thing called fashion styling. I mean, I didn't grow up reading magazines. I'm not the kind of person who would be like, oh yeah, I used to like go into my mother's closet and like wear all the... No, 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 no. My mom used to go shopping and then she'd come with this very interesting clothes and she'd give it to me and it'd be like, why am I the only one who you're buying interesting clothes for? And she'd be like, because for some weird reason, you're the only one who kind of knows how to put it together. <laughs> And so that was fashion. But I went to school to study communication because I wanted to tell stories about Africa. And I guess it's come full circles because I feel like I'm telling stories about Africa. What about your experience immigrating here? And tell us a little bit about your decision to come to the U.S. in your mid-20s. Oh, yeah. I remember I had just left Dubai and I was talking to my spouse and they were like, oh, you should come to Denver. And I was like, I'm not sure. <laughs> I just wasn't really feeling it. You know, <laughs> um, that sounds familiar. <laughs> I, I won't say any names, but uh, I might have had that experience. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't it lovely once you get oh here? Oh, <laughs> my goodness. Are you kidding me? It is beautiful it really is it's amazing definitely yeah. beautiful yeah definitely. culture shock it sounds like, like yeah. Colorado might need some PR because it yeah. actually is a wonderful place yeah. and some people don't realize that. they don't I think because I mean I'm not a, I'm, I think maybe because we're constantly focused on like outdoors and like skiing and I don't ski I think the only thing I thought it lacked people don't really dress up you know like I was walking around I'm used to walking around and being like oh my god that's so beautiful <gasps> did you see that did you see that outfit did you see that did you see that and all of a sudden I was like and I, all of a sudden you saw a fleece now I you know and, um, and I would go comfort. somewhere and people would be like no one's dressing up and I was like but I will dress up because I think fashion is vibration and uh, when your vibration is so high in fashion, then people want to elevate themselves as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, you talked a bit about the Maasai women whose jewelry we yes. heard about earlier at the market. What more can you tell us about their lives and your visits with them? See, dye design is uh, based in Arusha, Tanzania. The Maasai inherently are beaders you know like they know how to bead but then the way the Maasai's live as well they really are nomads and they move a lot and uh, they're also if you have a lot of cows in the Maasai community you're very very rich and you're empowered and so the women have the beading and so it was like how do we have this women sort of like 
have their own financial stability and have their own financial empowerment. It's about enhancing the skills that they already have and also creating new skills that they, they, they can have. So aside from beating, they're also taught metal smithing. And so when I tell people that African fashion saves lives, I really do mean it in the sense of an earring. Yeah, literally. Yeah, because now they get to sort of like have value and they get to get paid from what it is that they already know and they get to inform us about what the different kinds of bidding ideas that they do. So it's preserving um, traditional techniques. It's introducing new techniques for them to encourage the new generation and it is to have ownership in uh, their culture. It is they get to benefit from their culture, which has benefited everybody else. Now, what portion of the money generated by the sales here in the U.S. go back to the women doing the beadwork and making oh, jewelry? All of it. Now, earlier we visited one of your pop-up markets and you had wallets made of fish leather yes. in each color of the rainbow. Yeah. That company is called the Label Saba. Yes. Based out of Kenya. Yeah. Can you tell us more about their backstory? Um, she's one of the first women for her bags to be at the gifting suite at the Oscars. And she's also had, uh, of the Maasai, but she's a Maasai from Kenya. And it's about sustainability. So aside from fish, it's they're also looking at um, pineapples. But we'll talk about the fish leather right now. Oh, wow. Yes, I know. <laughs> wow. See, that's, that's all, innovative. Yeah, I've that's, never heard that. Yeah, this is all the innovations that are coming out from like the African continent and all these African creators who are sort of like pushing the narrative forward. There's a lot of discard of like fish leather. So then it's constantly asking, how do we turn all of this material that we're discarding into something new. And so the label Saba was able to start creating sort of like wallets out of fish leather. Never heard of that. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned these the gift suite at the Oscars. Yes. Is that when they give out the gift bags yeah. to the to the celebrities yes. that attend? Yes, yes. And so and again, this is how brands are trying to get in front of all these people. They're trying to get their names out there. And I would imagine a part of it is people want to let people know, yeah. hey, I have something very different. Yeah. Who, who can say exactly. I have a fish leather wallet? Yeah, yes. Now, there was some momentum around supporting black designers, especially in 2020, on the heels of the racial justice protests. Did that inspire you in any way? And did you see more recognition for African fashion at that time? You know... Yes and no. Yes, in terms of, oh yeah, people were kind of like knowing and they're like, how can we support? And uh, it, it was good. But I think it's not still there yet. I think there was momentum, but the thing was sort of like... So it's kind of subsided over yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. And, so, you know, sometimes like I look at um all this like amazing black actors and, the, and starting and getting their pictures taken and I'm like well who are you wearing <laughs> like I don't see you wearing any like amazing full-blown black or like whole outfit I would love to see more of that well what do you think it would take to make this movement that you are leading here in Colorado to make African fashion more than just a fad and more sustainable over time 
we need more people to buy from African brands. We need more retailers, more so buyers. more platforms that yeah, more buyers. They can have access. You know when buyers go to shows that they need to be stalking African brands in their stores. I mean, outside from the fashion show and everything else, my entire work model is to connect African brands to buyers across America. So it's really about connecting yes. those who are selling yes. with those who are buying. Yes. And we, and this will go back when people are like, oh, I bought this thing and it feels very like an African inspired. I'm like, see, that's the problem. We need to stop buying African inspired. You need to be buying from actual African designers who are the ones who are creating these pieces, not somebody else who has been inspired. Koya, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Chandra. Koya Nyanki is a Broomfield-based stylist and fashion blogger whose mission and business is to share African artists and designers in places where they're not often recognized, including here in Colorado. Her big annual show is slated to take place in June. We'll link to more information about her African fashion company called Let Me Show You Different on the Colorado Matters page on our website, which is CPR.org. Thanks for joining us today and to the Colorado Matters team. Tyler Bender. Carl Bielek. Anthony Cotton. Pete Kramer. Molly Cruz. Andrea Dukakis. Rachel Estabrook. Michelle Fulcher. Matt Hers. Tom Hess. Michael Hughes. Chris Ketchum. Pedro Lumbraño. Shane Rumsey. Ryan Warner. And I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. This is CPR News and KRCC.